Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. We're now in our series called Journey of the Redeemed. It's a study in the book of Luke, and as we explore the life of Jesus, we also examine our own journeys shaped by him. Okay, quick poll. Who here knows our state tree? Anybody got a state tree? Yell it out. The Buckeye. That makes sense, right? I should, I should have known this. Okay, here's what I learned this week where I was like, how did I not think about this? Because I'm thinking like, it's an eye, right? But it's like, it was named because it looks like a deer's eye, like buck eye. Like, I don't know why I didn't put that together. No. I was this week year old when I figured this out. So that is our state tree. Now, does anybody know that we have a a United States national tree? Anybody? Aha, tricked you on this one. Okay, so in 2001, the Arbor Day Foundation, they put out a poll, and I didn't even know I could vote, so I'm really sad about it, but 101,000 people voted, and and by 2004, Congress passed passed the, the, the law, the whatever, statement saying the oak tree. The oak tree is our tree. I don't know if you know that, but there's 60 varieties in our country. And, you know, the pine, the, the let's see, the dogwood, they were all runners up. But all the state trees were in contention, so I guess the Buckeye got some votes, but we didn't vote enough, guys. Okay, so we have the oak tree. Now, plants can send a message, right? I don't know, what do you, what do you feel about being represented by an oak tree? Well, right now, I wonder if you've seen on the news any, have you seen a plant representing Ukraine, the sunflower? And I love these photos because they were taken by Shafan Hassan, and it's in our our sister city. If you know, we have a sister city in Ukraine, Kharkiv. That's where these photos were taken. So the sunflower has represented Ukraine because they they have a ton of them, and they produce tons of sunflower oil. In fact, the European Union buys apparently like just 200,000 tons per like month there from them. So this is going to be a little tricky with the sunflowers, but it's become more of this, this sign of resistance now. Did you guys see the video of the woman who when they first, when Russia first invaded and she has a handful of sunflower seeds and she's like, you know, may these be in your pocket, may they grow when your body falls. (laughs) Basically, there's just this resistance now. This, This sunflower, this beautiful, strong plant turning its face to the sun is now, it's now a symbol, right? And even I saw Cincy shirts made a t-shirt with the, um, Cincinnati flag with a sunflower in the middle to represent and to support Ukraine, Now, there's also a national flower in Ethiopia. Ethiopia is another country that they have been dealing with civil war for since mid-2020. And there is the national government and the Tigrayan people, and they have been at odds, and they have both been doing horrible things to one another. Yet there was a parks project in the capital, the Addis Ababa Riverside Green Development Project. And it was trying to promote peace. And if you see this amphitheater here, I don't know if you can see the shape, but then when we look to the next picture, it's supposed to represent a calla lily. So if you would flip back and forth between these two photos, can you see it? Can you see how this is the shape of a calla lily? And that is their 
national flower, and it was chosen because the white bloom is supposed to represent peace. So here in a time of conflict, the architects were trying to promote peace. Plants can communicate a message. And in Israel, the national tree is the olive tree. And we'll talk about the Mount of Olives here in the coming weeks. But today, we're going to read about Jesus speaking to the people of Israel. And he calls them two different trees. Or he brings up metaphors of two different trees of how they can be. Neither one is the olive tree, but we've got a fig tree today and a mustard tree. And so we're going to find there's some challenges within these two metaphors. Since the fall, we've been in our journey of the redeemed from the book of Luke. And we keep going through different segments. This one is called sorrow and sighing, gladness and joy. Right now, Jesus is on his final week's steps toward Jerusalem. And there, he knows his time on earth is coming to an end. The words here were taken from Isaiah 35 because it's, it's a whole chapter in the Old Testament describing how God's people received redemption. And verse 10 says, Gladness and joy will overtake them. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. Jesus' followers, even those who despised him, they, they had all studied these words in Isaiah, yet they did not, did not grasp yet. That Jesus was coming for this purpose. That he was trying to rescue them from sorrow and sighing. That he was trying to bring eternal gladness and joy. But we're going we're gonna to see some sorrow today and some joy in his words. Now let's find Jesus' journey on a map. We keep saying he's going to Jerusalem, so let's, let's start. So we've got a map. We've got Israel here. And we're going to zoom in, and you're going to see a couple of bodies of water. We've got the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, and the Jordan River connecting them. See all that? This is how I've learned from Steve to help in on my maps here. So if we zoom in further and you see the area beside the Sea of Galilee, that's where Galilee is. And this is where Jesus has been lately in our stories. And that's the people he's talking to today. And he's making his journey down to Jerusalem. And he's going through various towns and villages on the way. And so we're going to see that he stops in several locations today. But now Jesus is going to talk about Jerusalem itself. And Jerusalem, just like any capital city, represents a country. Jerusalem here represents a people. Because even though they, if you lived outside of the city, even if you lived in the Galilee region, like Jerusalem was this key part of your identity. It was a spiritual center because that's where the temple was. And all the Jewish people were required at least once a year to go to worship and make sacrifices at the temple. So as Jesus speaks to Jerusalem here, he's calling to the heart of a people. He's calling to their identity of who they are supposed to be, who God has called them to be as his own. So let's read through Luke 13 today. Oh, and let me note, the thing that's very interesting is just keep in mind that Jerusalem means city of peace. There's not always peace there. Okay, Luke 13, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 to kick us off here. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. 
or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Do you think that they were more guilty than all of the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. We historically don't know the details of these two incidents here. We, we do read Josephus was a historian of the time, and he talks about Pilate, and we're going to hear more about him later, but he was a violent man, and he didn't really care about any religious sensibilities at all. Well, apparently once he stole money out of the temple offerings in order to build something he wanted to build. So he's just really making bad choices here, and he doesn't really care about the people he's supposed to oversee as the Roman authority in the Jewish area. And so they're telling Jesus' story like Galileans. Galilee is where he was, right? And then they apparently had gone to Jerusalem to worship at the temple, and they were making sacrifices of animals, and it says that Pilate mixed their blood with the sacrifices that they were making that they were killed, that not, that not only is tragic, but it was like sacrilegious at the same time. Like he defiled people and God in that moment. And then the other, the other scenario that Jesus brings up seems to be more of an accident, like a tower falling. But either way, the two things that we see here is that the people in Galilee were saying, that's where you're headed. Do you see how Galileans are treated and you're going to Jerusalem? Like, maybe they had this fear, like, Jesus, why are you doing this? Yet Jesus knew that it wouldn't be peaceful when he got there for him. But Jesus turns the question back to the people who asked. He says, first of all, if you've ever heard people who are confused in the past or confused in the present and think that all bad things mean that somebody did something, that they brought it on themselves, here we can see Jesus says, no, that's not true. Not everything bad that happens is because someone sinned and is being punished. Some things might be, but here he's got two incidents. He said, no. Do you think that they're worse sinners? No. So if we hear that, dismiss that. That is not true. If we hear that today, Jesus looks back and he's trying to say, look, these things that are happening here are, mo- are harmful, but all of Israel is in danger because The way that Luke writes this story within all the other stories, Luke is writing down Jesus' words, and he's experienced something in his life. He has watched as Rome invaded Jerusalem and destroyed it. And that happened in AD 70. So a few decades after Jesus says the words, but then when Luke is writing down the words, he's connecting some dots and saying, was Jesus trying to warn us? Was Jesus trying to warn us? Or the other thing that Jesus' words could be is that, okay, evil people do evil things. Accidents happen. We don't know what tomorrow is. So choose God today. Kind of applicable to our lives too. So here's more. Jesus keeps going, and he has a parable to connect with this story. Jesus told this parable A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it, and I'll fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, 
I'll cut it down. So even when Jesus was saying, okay, look, bad things are happening. Choose God now. Repent now. He just, the mercy of God just keeps showing up. You know, that it might seem harsh to be like, okay, well, bad things can happen to me. Thanks for saying that, Jesus. And here he's saying, listen to God while you have time. And also, God is trying to give you more time. The tree is meant to produce fruit. Israel is meant to produce life. Israel is meant to be the one to know God's message of redemption inside and out and be the one to show that to other people. But we keep reading in the book of Luke that they keep trying to hold it on to themselves. Like, we want political redemption. We want to be the greatest nation. We want redemption ourselves. And Jesus is like, yes, and you're supposed to produce fruit for others. You're supposed to share that redemption with the world. So Jesus is saying here, a tree is supposed to produce fruit. And you can feel the tough love. You can say, I don't see you living this out. But he's like, you got another chance. Use this chance. All right, let's move on. We've got a lot of stories today. On a Sabbath day, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. So this is where they were worshiping. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over. She could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her. Immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or your donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what has bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. So we probably know that the Jewish people would keep the Sabbath by not working. That was something that distinguished them from other people around them. And that was a big, that was a big trust in God because if you didn't work, you didn't eat. Like the, the day-to-day from work to table was a lot closer together than what we might experience today. And so if you didn't work, you were trusting that food would still be on your table that day or the next day. But God's like, rest, enjoy, worship, trust. I've got you. So in the Ten Commandments, when it says that you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, there's no details there. There's no defining notes about what exactly that is. And so for years, there's debates and discussions from rabbis trying to interpret God's word and say, let's figure out what work is to make sure we don't do it. Right? I mean, it's a logical concern. However, things were getting more complicated. And in fact, by this time in culture, there's two things that were written down that we can find. One, if you had a non-life-threatening injury, you weren't even supposed to take medicine on the Sabbath. That seems tricky. And if you broke a limb or dislocated a foot, someone could pour water on it for you. I guess that's going to feel okay. But they couldn't do anything else. Like, sorry, be in pain for a day. We'll fix you tomorrow. Okay, so that is how 
That's how specific they were. Like, okay, you're not dying, you're fine. So I don't know why that was considered a work. Apparently, that synagogue leader would have had such a view because he's very upset that this woman was healed. She wasn't, she's been this way for 18 years. What's one more day? But Jesus is, his words here are like, here, you're doing the letter of the law and you're trying to be good, but remember the spirit of the law. The Sabbath was made for worship. It was made for rest. This woman's on, in the synagogue to worship God on the Sabbath. Why not today let her be free to fully worship God? To let her have rest from all those burdens that she's been carrying for 18 years. Sabbath is a beautiful day for this healing. Now, Jesus uses specific words here. He told the woman, you will be free. And he told the people that she was set free. He uses this specific word, this freedom. And he calls her a daughter of Abraham. And he is communicating here that the same freedom he gave her physically, he keeps trying to say to God's people, I want to free you. I want to free you. There's things that are binding you up, that are bearing you down, and you were not, you were not who you could be. Jesus wants to set them free. Now, right after this story, we've got a couple more parables. We've got another tree. And in the way the original language is, there's a connector between these two that we're not supposed to read these separately, that this healing comes right before Jesus tells these parables. So let's read them and see how they connect. Verses 18 through 21. Then Jesus asked, so right after he's healing her, then, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden, and then it grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. All right, so we have a photo here of some mustard seeds, and they're pretty tiny, something very small, but it became large enough in order to, birds could sit on its branches. So that's got to be a big enough plant, tree. There's, I started reading all about mustard this week, and there's a lot of kinds, and there's different sizes, and there was one article that simply asked, is mustard a plant, a flower, a bush, or a tree? Yes, it can be all of those things. Okay, so at some point, it's large enough for birds to land on. And so that's just saying something small can become something robust and invite others in and be a home for something. And then with the dough. Now, I'm, I'm sitting here speaking to a few of you who I know you make some bread. So I'm not going to claim to know anything here. I and some people here. But take some yeast. And I don't know, I'm guessing you don't use a lot in order to make a lot of bread. But this 60 pounds of flour apparently could have made like how small, I, I, I like to find this picture because it was like small loaves. You could make up to like 80 with that amount at this time. So something very small can provide for so many people. So let's connect these two. There's a woman that's healed. We've got some stories about God's kingdom. So people might ask Jesus, what does it matter? You were in one synagogue on one Sabbath and you healed one woman. So what? Well, one action of freedom 
can grow exponentially in God's kingdom. One act, we don't know what message Jesus was sending, what that woman would do, or the fact that it's written down and we're reading it. This one act of healing is still challenging us today. But that can encourage us that one action of sharing God's freedom, of telling other people about God's redemption can can do, can grow, can be great things, even when we think it's not much at all. Okay, so, so far, what have we had? We've got our trees. We've had Jesus saying, repent, because if you don't, if you keep choosing yourself, then you're going to slowly take the life you had, and it's going to bend lower and lower and be burdened down like a dying fig tree. But if you choose freedom, like the woman was allowed to connect to Jesus' freedom, she was bent over with burden and suddenly straightened up. There is a move toward death when we focus inwardly and a move toward life when we go to Jesus' freedom. Okay, we get another metaphor here. We're moving away from the natural world, and now we've got a door. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. So he's left wherever he met the woman. Now he's on to a new place. And he's going to give a similar message as the fig tree here, but he's going to use a different metaphor. He said to them, oh, someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And he said to them, I'm sorry, my microphone's falling. Thank you. He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you came from. And you will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there, gnashing of teeth, when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west, north and south. They'll take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. So in this original language, when it says to make every effort to enter through the door, there's this struggle involved here. Like, like there's something here. There's a way that's not easy. It requires some effort and some sacrifice and some work. But, but you, you get to go into a feast, so it's a good thing. But at some point, the door will be shut. So there's a time limit, just like Jesus was trying to describe with the fig tree. And that's, a, that's that sorrow and sighing that we talked about. This message doesn't feel good. I don't, not a really great, I don't like reading that. You know, that seems like, that seems really sad. And I, first I'm thinking, but Jesus always is like giving other chances, right? And yes, but at some point, it just seems like the person has been given a chance and chance. And it says, away from you, evildoers. So that's a, that's a strong word there. I imagine, I'm imagining that that, you know, you think evil and you think harm. So I imagine that the host here is saying, I'm going to have to close the door because, because if you come inside, there's danger there. There's harm. 
and I think about the news and, and the things going on in our world now and that always go on, and, and we see those moments where we're just like, yes, we always want hope for people. But also, we have to set boundaries because there's harm, and we have to protect. And, and I'm sure you've all experienced where someone you love is being, is being harmed, and, and it hurts, and you have to you have to set boundaries and you have to help them so that there's, there's no more harm. You shut the door. And you hope, but you still shut the door. Because we want to protect, protect those with no voice, protect those who are vulnerable. And if someone's endangering, killing, abusing, destroying, it's safer to have that door. So when I look at the metaphor with that in mind, there's a call toward those outside. But there's a door to protect. So, here's the thing. I don't think Jesus tells this story with the gladness and joy. I think he tells it with sorrow and sighing. Because he keeps inviting people and he keeps waiting and he, he's like that host, like, I, I invited you in and you're choosing to hang out out there because it requires some action. It requires a change of heart. It requires peace. And he's like, I'm willing to help you do that. Like, we're not being asked to do it alone. But he's like, you gotta accept my invitation. But I think, I just picture tears in his eyes when he says this. Sometimes the words can be so harsh, but I feel like he's, he's just hurt. I feel that because of this next section too. At the time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said, leave this place, go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Jesus replied, go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. You were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus, again, is told of danger. You know, the people in Galilee were worried about Jesus going to Jerusalem. And here, even the Pharisees are like, you know, Herod's after you. And if you saw the third day mentioned there, we can see the foreshadowing of Easter to come. But Jesus calls Herod a fox. And he's not like, hey, foxy. Like, it's not a good thing, right, fox? You, if you were a king, you wanted to be like a lion and like this predator. But a fox, a fox is the one that's like, Oh, they're in the vineyard again, get them out. Or uh, a city is in ruins and the foxes come in and they're like the scavengers just picking at the bones. That's a fox. And so that's what Jesus is calling Herod. Like, Herod will be part of the cross story as we read, but not really like a powerful part. Jesus wasn't afraid. But notice, Jesus could have described himself like, okay, if Herod's a fox, then I can be like a mountain lion. Or even an eagle, like those are predators that prey on the foxes. 
But Jesus is like, I'm a mother hen. And that's the image of why I think that Jesus is sad when he talks about that closed door. Look at this little picture. You little chicks. I found videos, but that was a lot. Go Google, like, little chicks under their mom. It's really cute. You feel that tenderness. Like, every time Jesus was like, I have to say a hard thing, and then I also just want to, like, snuggle you, right? (laughs) These are both, you know? We've all had to practice the hard love. Like, you had to say some hard things, and then he's like, I just wanted to do this. I just want to protect you. And Jesus was like, but, you know, he's like a mother hen. He's like a mother, you know? Mothers are not going to let their babies get hurt. And so he's like, yes, Herod is a fox. Yes, there is evil in this world. But nobody's getting my people. But he's still the hen, and there's a fox, and the hen could still die protecting her young. And Jesus is going to go die to protect people, even people who don't even think they need his protection. Jerusalem, he said, the center of people's spiritual lives, their, their identities, like, I wanted your identity to be with me. I want to rescue you. We've got a lot of metaphors today. Hopefully one struck you. We had some, we got some nature, some trees, some, some barnyard animals, some doors and bread. What's really hitting you today? Hope you Hope you can take in whatever God's speaking to you right now. Because there was, you know, we had some sorrow and sighing, and maybe, maybe the image of the closed door, maybe that can motivate you to, like, go and speak up to people who are harming. Maybe the image of the dying fig can have you inwardly say, am I bearing fruit for others? Maybe you choose a gladness and joy. If you found that liberation of the woman, may that inspire you to choose that good news of freedom. Or let the image of the mustard tree remind you that you can invite birds to your branches. You can invite others in and be a home for them. Jesus wants us to grow healthy for us and for others. For our sake, for God's kingdom's sake. We can provide and we can be healthy ourselves. And he knows that growth is going to have struggle. It's not easy. There's hard choices and people we have to interact with. But the word that I take from this chapter today, because we keep looking every week, we're like, okay, well, what does this mean to us? On this journey, how do we live as the redeemed people of Jesus? Let's flourish. When we choose Jesus' freedom, let's flourish. When we accept his protection under his wings, we flourish. When we listen to God's call to stop looking inwardly, selfishly, we look for our own harm and choose healing instead. When we don't just say we know Jesus, but we live it, act like it, <laughs> act like we care and sacrifice in this world, we flourish. We flourish when, when there's a single seed of faith and we let it grow. Let it grow just a little bit more. Let's flourish. 
thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.